So about eight years ago, my wife and I were blessed to be able to buy our first house. At the time, we were living in a duplex that my dad owned in Southeast Portland. There were some minor challenges living in that duplex. For one, we were renting from my dad, so we weren't getting any rental credit or credit history or rental history or anything. The main source of heat in that duplex was a fireplace. So every winter, we had to find a place to buy wood. And it was a fairly small place with only one bathroom. And even though there was only three of us, we were pretty cramped. Now, most of those negatives were actually canceled out by a lot of really cool positives. There's a huge backyard for my daughter to play in. Our next door neighbors that shared the duplex with us uh, was my stepsister and her husband, and they had a daughter the same age as our daughter. Our neighbors all along the street were extremely nice. We all seemed to kind of watch out for one another. But there was one major negative that that place had that all the positives just couldn't overcome. The drawback was where that place was located. It was just off of 170th and Division. Now, if you're not familiar with that area, about a mile to the north, there's a fire station. About a mile and a half to the south, there's an outdoor shooting range. So, in addition to the overall downturn of the southeast Portland area, every time you went outside, you heard sirens and gunshots. That, that specific location, there were a lot of negatives. So when the opportunity came for us to move, we met with a realtor. And he asked us, what's the most important thing in this new place that you're looking for? And we said, not to be here. <laughs> Turns out where you live is a pretty important element of your life. Do you have a list of things that have led to where you're living now? I mean, when you go to visit the beach, do you just sit back and think, man, I could live here forever? Or maybe the suburban life is, is more where you feel most at home. Maybe the rural country is more your speed. Maybe your main concern is staying in a school district or close to work. I mean, you could have the perfect home, but if you're spending two hours commuting every day, you're not spending that much time at your perfect home. So a lot of decisions need to go into where you live. But it was British real estate tycoon Lord Harold Samuel who said the three most important aspects of real estate are location, location, location. But location just isn't important in real estate. Last week we started talking about dreams and where our dreams will lead us and what God has in store for us individually as well as collectively as a church. And if we want our dreams to flourish and take this church to amazing places, our first step is to plant them in the right place or in the right location. You see, big dreams are great. There's nothing wrong with big dreams. 
But if you're planting those dreams at your job or which team is going to win the big game, they might be big dreams, but they're not God-sized dreams. In order to have God-sized dreams, you need to plant them in the right place. Now, I don't know anything about planting or gardening or any of that. I, I could kill a cactus, I'm pretty sure. But even though I don't know anything about planting seeds, Jesus knows all about planting. And he used the idea of planting seeds when he was teaching his disciples. Now, the story we're going to be talking about today is actually found in three different spots in the Bible. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, the story is pretty much the same in all three accounts. It's kind of like if you heard a story from three of your friends. They would be pretty much the same, but from three different aspects, so just slightly different. Now, today we're going to be looking at Luke's version of the story. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the pew Bibles behind the, in, in the back of the pews. The story that we're going to be looking at it starts at 10, page 1028. I'm sorry, 1023. Just as an aside, if you don't have a Bible at all, talk to me after service. I'll make sure that you leave here with a Bible. We have the greatest news in the world, but it doesn't do anybody any good if it stays right here in this building. Okay, so we're going to be starting uh, with verse 4 in chapter 8. And it says, While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. So Jesus is telling this parable, which is really just another word for story or analogy. And he uses that to convey a message. Jesus did this a lot. Just in the book of Luke, he used 24 parables. And his disciples were very, very used to him teaching this way. Now, even though they were used to Jesus teaching this way, it, they didn't always get the lesson. They didn't always grab what Jesus was trying to teach. So in verse 9, it says, His disciples asked him what the parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, you may, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. So Jesus is speaking in parables so people don't understand? Well, kind of. Yeah, that's what he's saying. He's saying to the disciples, he's saying, the kingdom of God has been given to you. In other words, you should already know what I'm talking about. But others that are listening to Jesus' teachings, they're not ready to hear the lesson just yet. So he hides the lesson in a story. It's kind of like when we used to hide Easter eggs for my daughter Sammy. When she was two years old, we would hide the Easter eggs by the leg of a coffee table. <laughs> you see, the whole pleasure of us as a parent was seeing him or seeing her find the Easter egg. So we don't want to put it where she can't find it. There, there's no fun in that. 
you have to put the egg where she can find it. But as she got older, we couldn't just keep the eggs by the leg of the coffee table. There's pleasure that we get by seeing her pull out a kitchen table chair so she can see at the top of the bookshelf. You see, that's where she has the fun, discovering, searching for, and trying to find what we're hiding. Now, there's no way that we would ever just say, okay, we're going to go in the other room. Have at it. Let me know when you're done. There's no way that we would do that. Our pleasure is in her discovery. Our pleasure comes from her pleasure of finding. And it's the same way with Jesus' message. No pleasure is giving. There's no pleasure in Jesus just saying, here's a list of rules, follow them, I'll be back later. Instead, he hides the message so that we can discover it for ourselves. He doesn't want to get, give the lessons to people who aren't ready. There's no sense in that. So he hides them in a story. Now, there are some times when Sammy was looking for eggs and she'd have a hard time finding it. And so either her mother or I would say, oh, you're getting warmer. Oh, you're getting warmer. And that would help her kind of find these, these eggs. And that's what happens next. See, Jesus starts to unpack the parable. Going back to our passage, in, in, starting in verse 11, it says, This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And when the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock... Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have, no, they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They do not mature, but the seed on good soil stands for those with noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop." Jesus says that the seed is the word of God. Now remember last week, I told you about some of the things that God says. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. In all ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So one of the things that Jesus is talking about is planting your dreams. And he's talking about where to plant those dreams. The seed is the word of God. Where can you plant those in your dreams? Now, the first dream Jesus tells us about are the ones that are planted on the path. He tells us in verse 12, he said, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Maybe your dreams can relate to this. How many of you have been sitting here on a Sunday morning and you had this idea pop in your head about how you can serve God and his kingdom? And almost immediately, you dismiss it and go, that's not me. It's not what I do. 
I'm not, I'm not somebody who serves in church. That You're lucky I'm even here. I'll be the first to admit, that was me. I was sitting in a church service, and I started hearing this whisper. Wouldn't it be cool to be a pastor? Wouldn't it be great to have that be your job, to lead people to Jesus? Wouldn't that be great? And I ignored that whisper for two years. Two years! Now, thankfully, our God is patient, and he waited for me to realize that that was his dream for me. Now, if you've been having the same idea pop in your head over and over and over again, it's not your imagination. That is God directing you to plant your dreams somewhere other than the path where they'll be trampled on and forgotten about. Now, the next two places where people plant their dreams are similar to each other. Jesus tells us in verses 13 and 14, he says, Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. That reminds me of another story in the Bible that you actually find in three different books as well. It's a story about a rich young ruler. And it's a story of this young, young guy. He comes to Jesus, and he's in leadership, and he's a pretty important person. And he asks him, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. No adultery, don't steal, honor your parents. And the guy says, great, I've done all those things since I was a boy. And then Jesus responds, check it out. There's one thing that you haven't done. I want you to sell all your stuff, give that money to the poor, and come and follow me. And when this young guy in leadership that was so important, when he heard this, Scripture says he became very sad and went away because he was very wealthy. See, this rich young ruler had dreams of having eternal life. And he believes that Jesus is the man with all the answers. He's the guy that can get me there. And so this man asks how to live forever, and Jesus reminds him what the scripture says. And the young man says, great, I've already done that. I'm already there. Yes. And then Jesus gives him a new direction. And it was just too hard. Selling all of his possessions means that he'd be living without the comforts that he was used to. It means he wouldn't be in charge anymore. It would be a huge change from what he used to do. And he just couldn't bring himself to do it. When you say yes to God's dream for you, I can guarantee you two things. Number one, it will be difficult. If it were easy, anybody could do it. And it wouldn't make you into the person that God needs you to be to fulfill his dream for you and his church. Number two, most importantly, it will be worth it. I guarantee you it will be worth it. I wonder what the the rich young ruler thought when he died and he met Jesus face to face. I wonder what that feeling must have been. 
when he realized it would have been worth it. It so would have been worth it if I just did what Jesus said. So after Jesus tells us about all the places planting our dreams can go wrong, he tells us where we should plant our dreams. He says in verse 15, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. So during this series, we're going to hear a lot about what the word says about dreams that God has for us individually as well as collectively as a church. Jesus is saying, if you heard what the word says and you believe and trust in Jesus, man, he can make some amazing things happen. Doesn't mean there won't be hard work involved or that it'll be easy but it does mean that God is able to make those dreams God-sized realities. So what does that look like? What's an example of planning our dreams in the right spot? I believe that God has a dream for this church. I personally have a passion for reaching people outside these walls, and I really hope that you guys do too. I want to see more people walking in these doors to hear the good news of the gospel that transformed my life and can transform anybody's life. But like I said, it's not going to be easy. And there's going to be some work involved. Last week I told you about a trip that I took to Southern California and Disneyland. Now Disneyland is a magical place. It's exciting and it's amazing. And when Walt Disney was first dreaming about what Disneyland would be, he had in his mind an eight-acre park next to Burbank Studios where his employees and families could just go to relax. And the more Walt dreamt, he realized that eight acres wouldn't be nearly enough. So he dreamt big, and he started looking for a site that was 100 acres. Location was the top priority. It would have to be within the Los Angeles metro area, and it would have to be accessible by freeway. In 1953, the search for the spot that Disneyland would be built finally ended when Walt found a orange grove that was 160 acres large in Anaheim, California, just near the junction of I-5 and Harbor Boulevard. If you grabbed a bulletin on the way out, or you see this picture, that's Disneyland. You just couldn't see it yet because you're focusing on what it is now or what it was back then. Walt was able to see what it could be through his dreams. I have God-sized dreams about what Hillsview Community Church can be. What's God's dream for you? What's God's dream for this church? Tell you what, once we all get on board, this place will never look the same. And it's all because we serve an awesome God. We choose to plant our dreams, and when God directs our dreams, we plant where he says. It truly is all about location, location, location. Will you pray with me?
Lord in heaven, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the dreams that you've given us. Thank you for the push to follow those dreams and to do what you want us to do. Lord, please give us the strength to pursue those dreams and to to go through the hard work and to be with you. Lord, it's truly in your name that we pray. Amen.